Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about haircuts, university, and we have part one of our interview with Andy Fearon from the Carlisle Vineyard Church. Good morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of The Kindness Project. I am joined by a man who is bolder than me currently. It's Russell Gaines. And I'm joined by a girl who is fully marvelled up. It's Charlotte Danes. How are we doing, Japs? Uh, we're good. We're, we're joined by a man who's got three three quarters of a head of hair with a comb over. I haven't got a comb over. I haven't got a comb over. This is my actual hair that I just combed. Now, I've got three quarters of a head of hair. I've got a little sort of um, uh, barren patch at the back. Now, Russell uh, uh, actually has been endowed with amazing hair, right, usually. But for some bizarre reason, he decided to get rid of it all. What inspired that, Russ? I, I like to have mine cut short. Because right. it, it doesn't style. It, it's amazing now. It's amazing now, right? By the time I come down now, <laughs> next week, that'll be half one back. But okay, it doesn't style. I can't get it to do anything. It just do you use, What do you use? You use gel? Do you I'm, use um, I've never loose? been able to style it. I just don't bother. I just trim it off. Just one question. You do own a brush, don't you? I do own a brush, yeah. And and whatever way you comb it, it just goes yeah, wrong. It, it, it's just like now. <laughs> it's just everybody's hair is just there. Yeah, but yeah. people manage to do something with it to make it look no, I, don't, I don't like it. I like it short. Okay, fair enough. I mean, there is short and there is your hair at the minute, which is amazingly short. You know, if if you had a haircut shorter, you would have had a minus haircut, literally. It, that is like it, minus it, two. It depends on your opinion, and my opinion's it's short, and your opinion's it's <laughs> yeah, my opinion is it's disappeared. Right, do you remember, Russ? Just, I mean, I don't know if we've told ever told this story on the podcast. Do you remember uh, uh, our local barbers, right? Yes. When we lived in um, round by the tree, the Italian guy. Yeah, well, there, there was a, there was a few, wasn't there? There was Alex's yeah. down the road, yeah. which was a, a decent haircut. There was um, the one down the um, uh, uh, by the cemetery. Not a yeah, great place for a barbers, but I don't know where his work came from. Um, the morticians. Uh, <laughs> and there was also, right, there was also a barbers that I opened, and I got in a lot of trouble. I don't know if you remember this. Um, uh, I took you to a barbers that had just opened t- called Ricky's, right? Or yeah. something like that. Um, and it was a brand new barber's, but it wasn't like a sort of four quid haircut and you're out. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't one of them. I mean, I I, 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 I don't know when the days of a four quid haircut were, but how about you? You don't pay anything for your haircut, do you? No. Okay, I've done at home. Yeah, I can tell. Um, and the... Uh, <laughs> the how much do you pay for an haircut? Um, 
uh, depends. So I like a Turkish haircut and a shave. Um, and it's 13 quid for the haircut. And then if I go for like a Turkish shave and all the flames in the ears and all that, it's about 22 quid. And, and how, how often do you have that done? Uh, once every six weeks, I reckon. Yeah, I could practically buy a computer by the end of the year with what I save on haircuts. Yeah, but then you'd have really long hair. <laughs> no, what, what I save on haircuts because I don't pay nothing. That's true. That's true. Your men's haircuts are ridiculously cheap. They are, they are. I mean, compared to women's. I used to pay like 38 quid just to get my haircut. I know, I know. I don't know. Men, men's, men's haircuts are dirt cheap. So let me tell you the story about these barbers when I was little, right? And Russell remember this. Um, there was a there was Ricky's, and I went down there, you know, used to paying maybe five or six quid for an haircut, right? Went down Ricky's. He was like, so do you want a cup of tea and do you want shampoo and do you want blow dry and all this sort of stuff? Did you get to how much it was going to cost you? Yes. <laughs> and, and for two boys' haircuts, it was £42. Um, and I got a lot in, lot, in a lot I of trouble remember. when I... Uh, when I you, do you remember that? Yeah. I got in a lot of trouble when I went home and went, I've just spent forty-two quid on two boys' haircuts. That was that was silly. I but, remember um, Mummy took me in the one at Glasgow uh, High Street there, and I went in with kids with Rick Ashley and said, "I want my hair like this." And he said, "Not a chance." <laughs> Amazing. He said, "Not a chance." Yeah. Amazing. Did they, just, uh, no, did you, <laughs> sorry, did you just say he said not a chance? Yeah, just uh, just before she died, she reminded me of that. Right, so, I've never heard this story before. <laughs> so so you went in with a photo yeah. of Rick Ashley into so, a the way mummy the way mummy told it was yeah. it just brought out uh, never gonna give you up. <laughs> I see him in a magazine and I thought, I like that haircut. You know the one with, with the wife? Yeah, yeah. I cut out the magazine and said to her, can we go and get my hair done like this? She said, I'll take you to Barber's. We right. went to Barber's. I said to him, I want my hair like this. He said, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, why are you cutting Rick Ashley out of a magazine? Number two, that's a new barber, isn't it? I don't even, I don't even remember how old I was when. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Your mum's changed the story, and it was actually Kylie. Um, but um, we were, and and when you went in, and he said, "Not a chance." Did you go? I'm never going to give this up. <laughs> no. All oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, I was quite an emotional child, so I probably cried. <laughs> I've just got this image of you coming out of the barbers. I can't have Rick Ashley's hair. <laughs> Amazing. That's probably how it was. Amazing. Anyway, uh, so I got in trouble spending too much money on an haircut. That was number one. But then the nickname of the barbers next to the cemetery was Suicide Sids. <laughs> now, I remember getting a haircut in there and it was dirt cheap. But it was like Russell's haircut now. It was the shortest haircut I've ever had in my life. It was not good. Not good. Not that your haircut's not good, but it's just not Rick Ashley, is it, Russell? Let's be honest. No, it's not Rick Ashley, no. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, on with the show. Let's talk question of the podcast. Um, I can't believe we've had a 10-minute conversation on haircuts. Um, let's talk about um, the question of the podcast. And today's question of the podcast is inspired by a, uh, a real-life experience we've got going on at the minute, which is um, I, along with Charlotte, went to a university open evening this week, didn't we? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Now, um, I... I, for one, I'm a bit overwhelmed by selecting universities. And we worked out, we had some techniques and strategies in place. Do you want to talk about those techniques and strategies and give them their proper names? Go on. Get the phone out. Oh, she's getting her phone out. Oh, what's that? Oh, she's, she's got a bit of Pokemon on her phone or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so we, we were having this discussion about the factors um, that should influence how I decide what uni I'm going to go to next year, um, which bit bit much, but you know, I'm I'm doing, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. So we were, we were, we came with some factors, but we decided that well, I decided that having them just be named what they were was a bit stressful. You wanted to make it a bit fun. I didn't wanted you? to make it fun. Can we before we talk about that? Let's talk about the experience of the. Um, of the seeing Russell's haircut for the first time. I mean, um, the university um, uh, open day. Because I walked in and I was a bit overwhelmed. Oh, the evening? Yeah, because there was like 25 unis there, I reckon. Um, and all of them were, I suppose, in the business and selling what, why they felt their uni was the best and whether they, of course, it was appropriate. Um, and there was a lot of really chunky prospectuses and it was really difficult to decide based on that that open evening wasn't it yeah. don't you think what did you get out of it why did you think it was worth going to three pens <laughs> three pens I, most of the ones that um we end up picking out from the ones that i picked up prospectuses for uh at the event i actually already had on my list as places to go but the problem is you don't get enough time to have a conversation with them, do you? No, because obviously there's people waiting behind you. Yeah. Other places you got to go. We turn up late for all the traffic. Yeah. But but one of the one of the good things, um, like, a, did you did you use that as a factor on picking a university, whether they gave you a free pen or not? No. No. Okay. So we had we had a couple of factors. Charlotte is determined not to stay at home. So one of the factors was. Is it far away? The home or away factor, we'll call that. That's not what it's called. What's it called? Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the places you'll go. What are the other factors? Um, so I, I had to do one for student satisfaction, obviously. So that's called the happy campus factor. Happy campus factor, go on. Um, I learned a really interesting fact about the church and about how they say that they only see people for hatch, match, dispatch. Because, you know, birth, marriage, death. Um, and I thought that was really funny, and it stayed with me. So, Hatchmatch Dispatch is now the name of the factor about work placement. <laughs> <laughs> when you get placed in work, are you getting hatched, matched, or dispatched? Matched. All oh, right, okay. You don't want to mention the next one, do you? Uh, no, I'm going to skip past it. Oh, okay. Um, and then there was the how much practical experience do the teachers have? This one has no validity. I just wanted to call it the Obi-Wan factor. Okay. It's fun. Um, 
student accommodations is the new nest factor and then well we're going to do open evenings so uh the seven second factor is the first impression what are the first impressions of the campus yeah. so we we are scientifically selecting the right university for charlotte this but sounds, it is this sounds a bit lot more like dr zeus's fighter picking in uni doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> dr zeus who's dr yeah. zeus you is know that the uh is he that the Queen Eggs and Ham guy? All oh, right, Dr. Zeus. Dr. Zeus, oh, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Why it's you S-E-U-S-S. So I think that's Dr. Seuss, not Dr. Zeus. It is Dr. Seuss. It is Dr. Seuss. Dr. <laughs> I will hit you with thunder. Yes, I am. Um, right, and but we are still uh, trying to work our know. way mentally through the factors we should consider so listeners we need your help we need your help picking a good university in charlotte so the question of the podcast is should charlotte stay at home and save all that money no, it's not she ain't staying at home she's <laughs> going away she's going away should um charlotte get a job as a bus driver and not go to university i know she's not doing that either she's not doing that i can't even drive should okay Charlotte getting haircut like Russell's is a, is another question. No, uh, I might get a number two. Russell's so. nodded. <laughs> Just imagine if everybody in the world had a Russell haircut. That would be amazing. I'm gonna have a barcode on the side next. That's what they that's what they do in like dystopia or those weird prison books. Sorry, you Sam Russell's got dystopian haircut. Yeah. Yeah, like they, they shave everyone's heads like to cause deindividualization. Next they'll be giving them a uniform. Have you got a uniform, Russ? It depends. Yeah. I work for you, so are we bring in uniforms. We well? are. We are. It's just a giant purple jumpsuit. <laughs> it's uh it's a Zavello tattoo on the side of your head. Um right. But Listeners, we'd like to um, we'd like to ask you the question: What factors and what considerations do you think it's important when picking a good university? Because you know we're trying to work our way through it, um, but we'd love to know. And some of our listeners I know have gone through that experience of picking a university itself or doing it for their kids, and we'd love to know what you think is are the factors that we should consider when. Picking a good journey. So let us know using the following channels. On Twitter, we're at Ola Kindness. Um, I think you've also posted this on your personal Twitter, so that's at Chris Games. Yes. <laughs> it was like you forgot my surname there. At Chris Dames. I was thinking, is there any other letters in there? Is there no, at Chris Dames, and Dames is spelled D-A-E-M-S. Uh, it's not on mine, so don't bother looking there. Uh <laughs> Facebook is, if you just type the kind of questions, the search bar will come up. Same with Google. And if not, if you want the direct link to the website, it's www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. If you want to email us, it's oller at thekindnessproject.co.uk. And if you can, any comment you do put, can you put the hashtag Russell's got a new haircut so I know that it relates to this particular show. And on that note, <laughs> let's get on with the show. And we have Russell's new trim. Russell, <laughs> Russell's new trim. Russell's got a brand new bag. Um, uh, and on that note, let's get on with the show. We've got a couple of um, really um, lovely bits of 
Kindly snooze. You almost forgot there, didn't you? So now, why is I, he stopping? Why now, is he stopping? Now, the weird thing, the weird thing is this week has been a bit panicky, is it? Isn't it? Hasn't it? Isn't it? Hasn't it? Uh, now, the, we've, we've had panic buying a petrol. We've had all this sort of um, business going on. We've had bad news all week. So, Kindest News is a part of the podcast where we just share a couple of stories of positivity um, in terms of in terms of what's going on in the world, so let me share those two stories of positivity. Firstly, I want to talk about um, Ed Sheeran because um, uh, Ed Sheeran um, has recently donated ten thousand pounds to a friend's hospice hospice appeal. Ed Sheeran donated ten thousand pounds to a hospice after an on the off chance request from a band he supported as a team. John Parker, part of folk duo Nisloppy. Now, I love Nisloppy. Do you remember their track, Russ, JCB? Well, I'm going in my JCB. That is an absolute banger. Um, And Charlotte's got to leave because she's got to let Sophie in, so I'm going to carry on reading the story. John Parker, part of folk duo Nisloppy, on Nisloppy, said he approached the star to ask for help in spreading the word about his fundraising marathon run. Uh, the group had a hit single with the Joe Zb song in 2005, and Sheeran credited them with teaching him basically, basically every aspect of my life set. Mr Parker said he was massively touched by the donation. It proves that no matter how famous you get, you can still be a top person, he said. In return, Mr. Parker promised if he wants to do a marathon any time, I have offered to help him. Um, Mr. Parker said Sheeran started helping with guitars for the Leamington Spa bass band in 2005 when he was just 14 and just used to hang out with us. He opened some shows for them and Mr. Parker said you could see he was very talented and knew exactly what he was doing. Sheeran just loved the music and was clearly interested in the craft and how to perform. The Galway Girl singer based in Suffolk spoke about his time with Nizopoli during a 2017 interview for Desert Island Discs and said, basically, everything from my live set, the way I control my voice, the way I control the audience, the way I even play the guitar, and the way I use the beatbox, this comes from the band. Mr. Park said the duo knew shit tune was special, adding his level of growth was just unbelievable. He asked that he said that they had lost touch for a couple of years until he approached the singer to ask for a tweet or something to mention his virtual London marathon run in an age of Warwickshire-based Merton hospices who helped care for his late mother. He said he'd not expected much because everything wants something from very famous people. The donation was given given under the name Ted, but Mr. Parker said he knew it was his old friend straight away, and they have since chatted and exchanged banter about Mr. Parker's running. He said Sheeran couldn't get his head around how far I run, but he suggested the star might want to take a marathon running himself as a new challenge. Now, I love that. I wonder, because I've got a marathon on Sunday, I'm doing a London marathon. Um, And as you listen to this... um, I might be on the road. I might be actually doing the London Marathon if you listen to this next Sunday. I wonder if I could get Ed Sheeran to sponsor me, Russ. What do you reckon? No. I think you could. We'll give it a go. Um, oddly enough, when we first started the Kindness Project, I didn't think we'd get anybody to come on. 
And it only took a couple of emails and we had people coming on left, right and centre. Now we get people contacting us. True, it's true. Um, if we could get Ed Sheeran on to talk about his donation, we're in the big, be... we're in the big leagues now, boys. <laughs> well, more than medium leagues, but we'll live with that. Um, we're in the big uh, leagues uh, now. But yeah, so well done, Ed Sheeran, and well done. Funny enough, I've been listening to a little bit of uh, Nuzloppy or however you say it, and they were a cracking band, really, really good. The next one we've got is um, a. Um, uh, story originally published in 2015, but is all about, and it's it's been 20 years since the acts of terror on the Twin Towers, um, and this is about a act of kindness uh, uh, to support people who lost their lives in the uh, the families of people who lost their lives on the tin, uh, Twin Towers. So let me talk a bit about this. Me and Charlotte are going to do this together. On September 11, 2001, 66 men and women who worked for the investment banking firm Sandler O'Neill and Partners on the 104th floor in the World Trade Center lost their lives. In the harrowing days following the terrorist attacks, the company made the decision to set up a foundation to pay college tuition for all of the 76 children of the fallen colleagues. I called the Sandler. Oh, who wrote this? So whoever wrote this called the Sandra. So this Sandra. was this was written by. Oh, I don't know. Um, it was written by somebody who works for the Good News Network, um, uh, and, and it's up. featured in a paperback book that the Good News Network published uh, back in 2015. So. Um, uh, so they called the Sandler O'Neill Foundation the other day to talk about those children and learned that 54 young men and women have had their college tuition paid for so far, but 22 young men and women still eligible. Uh, the 54 who have gone through college are now attended and uh, have attended every school imaginable from Stanford to Notre Dame to community colleges and technical institutes. Four students have attended Boston College uh, and um, the 24-year-old Sandler O'Neill no, employee, you missed, you missed. Um, the alma mater of Wells Crowther, who was 24, uh, a Sandler O'Neill employee, and saved as many as 12 people in the South Tower before running back upstairs to save more people, but unfortunately never being, uh, never being seen again. The long, youngest child eligible was born six weeks after September the 11th. When that child graduate, graduated from college, the Sandler O'Neill Foundation just won't exist anymore. It's just designed to set, send those kids through college. Andy Armstrong was one of the founders of the foundation, though he did not work for Sandler O'Neill. He was a friend of Sandler's surviving partner, Jimmy Doon. He and others of Doon's friends and colleagues, as well as banking competitors, helped set up, up to endow the foundation. So using something as, um, like destructive and negative um, as uh, the 2001 terrorist attacks and the impact that had on the world but taking that and using it using it to um, use it as a reason to do something positive um, and educate the kids of um, uh, the parents who were who were lost in on September um, September 2001 I think is an amazing thing what do you think mm, yeah definitely and it, it really gives them this chance that 
well, they're obviously lost people in this, but it's giving back to them, sort of. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Two different stories, two different um, ways to be kind, um, but amazing stuff. You know what I like as well, and we've seen this sometime again on the Kindness Project, um, the fact that sometimes that sort of act of kindness can be a counter reaction to an extreme act of unkindness and i'm not saying that we need unkind actions to be kind but i love the fact that people do rally around and and have the ability to be kind at the time when we need it the most mm. when we need hope in humanity i absolutely love it so well done the guys um there for educating kids which is always important to do and on that note let's come with the show we have got a cracking interview this week um this week we have got uh, the interview with Andy Fearon of the Carlisle Vineyard Church. Now, we talk um, a lot about a lot of different things in this interview, but Andy is responsible for a scheme designed to help his community in a big way. I don't want to steal the line, Mike, from Andy. Uh, he explains what he does in an amazing way. So let's just get on with the interview. Andy, um, thank you, firstly, so much for coming on and talking to us about the amazing work you do. Um, I know we've had a really good chat uh, pre-podcast, which was which was great. I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, and that was more about me, which is uh, a, a unique thing that people ask about me first. So I thank you for that. Um, but tell us uh, and tell me and our audience a little bit about you. Uh, well, listen, what an honor to be part of this. Anything with kindness and project in the title, I'm like, ding, ding, I want to get involved in this. So such an honor to be part of this. Yeah, so my name's Andy Fearon. I live up in Carlisle in North Cumbria, the golden city of dreams, the most generous city on the planet. Not everybody knows that yet. But one day, one day... You're persuading them, one person at a time, Andy. Persuading or wooing or, you know, you know, one little cup of coffee and the man behind me in the queue at a time. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I've just turned 48 years old. I feel in between 16 and 24, <laughs> um, maybe 26 now, maybe 26. But um, no, so I was born in the city, grew up just outside the city in the Perma, Mum and dad had family business, growing strawberries, fruit and veg, flowers. And that was my life uh, for a big part of it. When I was about 19, 20, I had an encounter in a nightclub. And that kind of changed my life somewhat. Um, yeah, and that was, wow, when I was about 20, 21. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, we'll, we'll talk to you about a little bit about your life because I want to know a little bit more about sort of what happened in that changed and, and, and when it occurred. But um, do you think, because I'm 44 now, um, so we're, we're of a uh, similar age, and I, I wake up in the morning and go, I, I still feel like I'm sort of in my mid-20s. And I was talking to my dad the other day, who's 74, and he said, in my head, I still feel in my 20s. Do you think that ever goes away? I, I hope not. I, I hope not. Yeah, that's true. It's a good... I, I, meet, yeah. I meet people who are 24, and they've got a heart and a mindset of a of somebody who's 80. Yeah. 
yeah, and my yeah, mom, yeah. it's funny, my dad's 74 as well. And, 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 oh man, my dad, they call him the JCB because he just digs. He yeah. is as fit as a butcher's dogs. He, he just walks all over everywhere. Yeah. So I think age is much more of a mindset, mindset. and a heart position than actual yeah. physically. So I, well, I, really I, I think maintaining a, uh, an optimistic perspective positive energy and um you know staying in shape to make sure that we can carry on but doing all that that sort of stuff is really important isn't it i often i often feel like you know i often give the illustration of swimming in the lake district if you if you if your eyes are here under the water it's all a bit murky and uh, like eight millimeters different your eyes are above the water and you can see it all and I think it's quite easy for people's heads to be dipped. And all, all we're trying to do is just, just lift a couple of chins Enough. and say, look, look what else you can see. Look what's around. Look what's possible. Look what's doable um, in, in your lifetime. That, that is one phrase that is going to stick with me for a while. Just chin up. Chin, chin up, up. Chin up. And then we can see what's going on and potentially have a different perspective on the world. I, I like that. So you mentioned about early 20s. You had this um, sort of moment of change. Help me understand a little bit more about that. Yeah, and, and I don't know how much you want me to share or not share about this. So I would have gone to church as a kid, and generally it was a good experience. Like I saw real kindness in my mum and my dad. Yeah. They would just they would just do anything for anyone at any time. I remember standing in the rain as my mum is taking um, like shopping to an elderly person. I remember on Christmas going to visit someone who would have some challenges in life. And I remember looking at all the cards in the room thinking, oh, this person has got lots of friends. But when I look closely, they're all blank. But my mum would have known that and she would have just turned up and just said, listen, you're not alone. I'm here for you. So yeah. I think the whole kindness thing was in my DNA kind of growing up. And, and the church was a kind church because I know not everybody's experience of church is good and healthy. But at the same time, I was bored silly on a Sunday. I would sit like this, counting the ceiling tiles. And I remember being a bit annoyed, even as like six, seven years old, with the minister at the front. I'm like, you're making this boring. You're making Jesus boring. And the, know, the little I know of Jesus is he was a bit of a rascal. Like he wasn't afraid to have people around the table who didn't fit in. Like he wasn't afraid to mix it up a little bit. Anyways, my life was full of, I hated school with a passion, right. but I loved working for my dad. I loved um, swimming. So my life was full at 14 years old. You're, you're on the lakes, aren't you, where you are? Where yeah, yeah. We're like 20, 30 minutes away from the Lake District. Oh, and so... Like we, some of our best holidays were just in a tent beside a river, messing around in the river. We didn't have much money growing up, but I honestly felt like the richest man in Cumbria because, and, and this is a rare thing. I had a mum and dad who loved me. And, and, yeah. and you know, we take that over anything, wouldn't we? You know, well, you know what? I think, you know, you've, are you, you're a dad, Andy, aren't you? Have yeah, you got kids? two kids, yeah. Yeah, so my my two are sort of nine and uh, seventeen, um, and 
you know, that got sort of, it's one of those jobs that you take when I was 26 when Charlotte was born. Um, and it's one of those jobs where you, you know, normally you get a bit of training, but this is a job where they go, you do realise there's no rule book for this and you'll probably get most of it wrong. And you go, oh, cheers. Uh, the most important job in my life, the one with the most responsibility to bring up this human. And you're telling me there's no like, sort of rules, rules around it. And you sort of learn as you go. But um, oh, Listen, you know, I, I was an amazing parent, an amazing parent when I was a youth worker. And I'm, I was surprised. Why don't more parents come and ask me my opinion about how they should parent? And then I had my own kids. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, man. I, I, I think, I mean, certainly I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a good fun dad, Andy. I'm a good, I'm a good, like, when there's fun stuff to do, I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I realised that I'm not a great homeschooling dad, um, and that's been uh, particularly apparent during the pandemic. But um, I'm sure we've all got our sort of strength. So church, I mean, it's interesting when you talk about church as well, because... No, I'm I'm not religious. I think um, kindness uh, um, uh, can you know can can be a trait that you can have regardless of your faith. Oh yeah. Um, but having that community behind you, and it looks like that you've got a church where that community really helps support your sort of great work. So tell us a little bit about your church. Yeah, so it's called Carlisle Vineyard Church, and my wife and I started about eight, nine years ago. And, you know, some of our values that we kind of pick up through our life, through our experience, it was very much um, we wanted to be a church for those who didn't connect with church. Yeah. Right. And we're way more concerned about the needs in the city than meeting the needs for a certain type of person that, oh, I want this type of song, or I want this kind of thing. So we thought, how, and it's a funny question, how do you measure if you're a successful church? And we knew that this is no way about how many people are going to come, but we wanted to measure our success about what are our, um, and it depends what you say, you know, the KPIs are, whatever, the um measuring stick in the city so we thought what about the single mums in the city what what about those who are trapped in the thing of benefit and renting do you think it'd be possible for us to be able to plan and work towards helping them find um, a meaningful job not just a job but a meaningful job I, I remember meeting this guy and I was helping him and encouraging him to to start a job and he got a job working at a local tip company. And he was on a conveyor belt sorting out the rubbish. And I'm like, listen, well done for getting started. And, and if you show a bit of hunger, a bit of oomph, you know, they'll that you'll stand out yeah, like a diamond. Yeah. And then he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they pay me minimum wage. And then I said, Oh, tell me, what does that mean to you that they pay you minimum wage? And, you know, his response was, he said, well, you know, they get minimum me. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, man. So I know I've kind of diverted a little bit there. So when we think about what it looks like to help change a city, mm. I know for sure Carlisle Vineyard is not the answer. However, we can be part of a solution. But, but so we love to partner. Yeah, I suppose that 
part of that change is changing attitudes and mindsets, isn't it? And having that conversation about, you know, potentially, you know, making a bit more effort in our lives in whatever aspects of our lives we want to improve is probably going to lead to better results. Maybe not short term, maybe not like sort of in the first couple of weeks, but over the longer term, you can you can you can change that. And it's interesting because you talk, I mean we talk at you know, a lot of the conversations, and funny enough, the interview I did before before this, Andy, we talked about measuring impact because hmm. you know kindness uh, is quite esoteric, isn't it? You know, it's one of those things where you go, well, how do you just you, you can't just put a ruler against it? <laughs> We've had this much, so talk to me how like you how you did that, how how did that happen? Oh, again, it is through partnership and it's through friendship yeah. with the city. And I think yeah. traditionally the church hasn't got it. And I'm very clear. Listen, you, you know, you hang around me more than a few minutes. You realize I'm just as messed up and as broken as anyone else. And we don't always get it right. But the one thing that we at church generally hasn't done right is there's sometimes a fear of church about connecting with people who maybe don't believe what they believe as well. Yeah. But what we've done is saying, look, if you are for the city, then we've we got more in yeah, yeah. So it's actually our um, Michelle Masters, who heads up Carlisle Ambassadors, who actually connected us. Um, so when we first started the church, there was this little tiny advert in the Cumberland News saying, hey, listen, if you want to help um, Carlisle be a better place to live, work and invest, then Kalal Ambassadors is starting. So right from day one, we said, we're all in. We're all in. You, you know you know what? It's, it's interesting you say that because you spoke, we spoke before about what incentivized me to start the kindness project. And one of the reasons was a firm, firm belief that there's more that connects us than divides us. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? And people like you are doing amazing work, sort of just reminding uh, reminding us that, that, you know, even with the stuff that divides, divides us, you know, understanding that, you know, there's a collaboration to happen there to understand a bit more is the starting point. I, I mean, when you boil it all down, the one thing I'm relentless in saying, whoever I meet, no matter their story, no matter their background, no matter what abilities they have, no matter what resources they have, no matter what they've got in their hand or the heart, I will always say you are a gift to the city. Like you are a one-off, unique, yes. um, like there's nobody quite like you. Um, what you can bring to the party, nobody else can bring. And I don't care if you think it's big or it's small. If you look out for your neighbor, if you're a good neighbor in the city, you're doing the man, job. Yeah. Like that, that would, like, you want to end all wars? Be a good neighbor. Yeah. You want to yeah, end yeah, division? Yeah. Be a good neighbor. Yeah. Like, it's not complicated, I don't think, this kindness thing. Incredible mental steps right you know start small and then it and then and then it and then it builds now that was part one of the interview with andy russ how many parts are we going to split andy's interview into i've been there saying over three parts mate so we're going to it'll be three parts so that's part yeah. one of three um tune in next week to hear more of andy's story But the end is never really the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new.
what this entirely new thing is, is the answers to last week's question of the podcast. And it's going to be a quick one this week, because I think we asked a question that people were too embarrassed to answer. And it was, what's the strangest thing you've um, ever bought online? And we had, you know, bear in mind that at our best, we have a decent number of answers to questions in the podcast. And at our worst, um, asked a question and no one answered. Yeah, this is one of our worst, because uh, what's the worst thing you've had, or what's the strangest thing you've actually bought at, it online? It's only given us one answer, and that's from our friend Chris Barbs, who just said an accidental banjo. <laughs> and on that note, I don't think we can beat that. See you later. Have a good week and we'll see you next week on the Kindness Project. Bye. Bye. Bye.